Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. Another edition of the Final Inspection Show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zotke, along with the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski. What's happening, Steve? Living the dream. You got that Living right, the dream. brother. Special in-studio guest, too. Absolutely. This. We have su- the man I call Superbird Doug. It's hoping it's a moniker that sticks because it, it fits It fits with him very well. Uh, of course, Doug Salinger, who's... Uh, I've known for 20-some years, 25 years or so, uh, quite the stock car historian. Uh, I thought I know. I thought I knew a lot about stock cars, but uh, and stock car racing. But Doug is right up there. I think uh, nationally, with with uh, what uh, in the world of stock car racing, not only uh, NASCAR but also uh, USAC, which we'll, we're going to get into in the second half of the uh, of the show. But uh, welcome to the show, Doug. Hey, keep your wings up. Yeah. And, of course, you last week were in Talladega. And uh, a bit bit surprised with all the changes that that, that occurred down in, in, in Talladega. And you were actually down there with your Superbird. Uh, for those who are not, are not aware, uh, Doug has a, a restored, uh, authentic 1970 Plymouth Superbird that actually won the first race by a Plymouth Superbird stock car race at Daytona in the ARCA 300 back in 1970 with uh, Ramos Stott, who is very popular with a lot of the, the fans around here. He's won uh, several races at the Milwaukee Mile. And and you were down there because they were having a, a kind of, you, well, you have your meeting down there. Uh, and uh, explain to me, you're the president of the what club again? It's the Daytona Superbird Auto Club. And uh, so what we're involved with are all the, all the 1969 and 70 aerodynamic bodies like the uh, the Superbird, uh, the Dodge Charger Daytona, uh, the Ford Talladega, and the Mercury Cyclone Spoiler II. Uh, all the limited edition models that were produced in 69 and 70 uh, for the purpose of racing on uh, circle track. Which some uh, call the Aero Wars, the NASCAR Aero Wars, and that, and that actually trickled into the, the, the USAC ranks. I always like to surprise people with a stat because people always talk about you know Pete Hamilton winning at Daytona in the Petty Superbird and the, and the second uh, Superbird, the, the number 40 car. He also won at Talladega. 
and uh, Richard Petty drove a Superbird and a few others. And you had Buddy Baker, who broke 200 miles an hour in a Dodge Daytona at Talladega. But the most Superbird or winged races were held at the Milwaukee Mile, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had three full seasons of aerodynamic bodies that were eligible to compete at Milwaukee. And where they were more or less legislated off the track after 1970 in NASCAR, uh, in USAC, they were allowed to run the full three-year body cycle. So, uh, you know, with four races a year, 70, 71, 72, we had 12 races where those wing cars could compete. And a lot of the fans in Milwaukee will certainly remember that, and one of my first memories of the Milwaukee Mile is that. But, uh, of course, I wasn't too impressed with the wing cars. I was more impressed with the loudness of the Hemis, which uh, I voiced to my mother, and she used to always tease me about that when I was a kid. So... Uh, it was not the funnest of times for me, for my little virgin ears back then. But, <laughs> uh, uh, and, of course, uh, there's also all sorts of things that were involved with your, your, your trip to Talladega and Talladega itself. I want to get to that uh, the second half of this first hour here. So looking forward to chatting more with Doug on the, his travels down to Bama and Talladega. And uh, certainly the stronghold for NASCAR. I think uh, looking back at the, the attendance, Doug, uh, the the three strongholds right now in NASCAR are certainly Daytona, uh, Darlington, and Talladega, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, with the attendance was pretty strong, Jeff, and a, a good good crowd. And so we, we saw certainly a good crowd at, at Darlington, and of course, well, Daytona, you should. That's your that's your kind of crown jewel of the the start kickoff of the season. That's the the Hollywood race where all the celebrities show show up in that day. You know, the Daytona 500. It's still quite the event on the tour, isn't it? Well, Talladega, you know, that's definitely a destination uh, track. A lot of people plan their vacations around uh, the races down there. And also, it's got that reputation of being just one hell of a good time, where the party just doesn't stop for the entire week before race day. So there's a lot of reasons to go down there and have a good time. You know, if you're looking for uh, an event to have a, a guy's weekend at, uh, you can't go really wrong heading down to Talladega and uh, hanging out with some of them Southern Bells down there and uh, letting loose, if you know what I mean. And and this is what they've done with the, the new uh, Talladega Garage experience down there, where they've they've uh, got a fifty million dollar renovation and an addition uh, fan zone inside the infield with access to the garages. So they're really trying to enhance the fan experience. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break now. When we come back, actually, I want to kind of dive into that a little more. We'll actually switch things around a little bit. I want to talk about Talladega because what I saw on TV and that looked pretty intriguing. And, of course, Doug was down there for that. So I want to let, let's find out a little more about the changes at Talladega. We'll also talk about Kansas, of course, this weekend. It's an elimination race uh, for the NASCAR and the NASCAR playoffs. So four drivers will go home but you know what i mean they'll just be eliminated from the playoffs so looking forward to that we'll also talk with david land at the top of the second hour talk about road atlanta imza of course the petit le mans uh changes the indycar and the possibility of a formula one race at miami at the hard rock cafe stadium dolphins travesty blah 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 so we'll talk about that in the second hour uh, you're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda.
And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zotke, along with Jeff Orlowski and Superbird Doug, joining us in, stu- in studio in uh, Talladega last week. Were you entertained, Jeffrey? Yeah. Yeah, I was. That was entertaining. Um, you know, the super speedway, quote unquote, racing, if you want to call it racing, you know, it's entertaining. It's, uh, but it's not racing, but it's entertaining. So... I uh, I definitely did not feel like uh, my two days got cheated. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate. It seems like this year NASCAR has been bit by the weather bug a lot. But, you know, you run the first stage on Sunday, the next two on Monday. Didn't bother me any. I was still able to watch the whole damn thing. But, uh, you know, if you're down there and, you know, you had to work on Monday, that had to suck. But yeah. uh, considering all I was doing was was holding down my couch, it uh, it was all good for me. Doug, how about you? Are you a fan of the, the plate race? It's certainly unpredictable. You know, Talladega is always a wild card, and it's always completely unpredictable. You just don't know what'll happen. Uh, kind of like the the Roval. Yeah, I I, th- I guess the, the one the one thing I don't like about plate racing is that it's hard to figure out. You know, there's there should be an an, an ebb and flow in, in racing. And you should know who the fast cars are, who's need to work, who needs to work on the car, who needs to improve. With 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 Talladega and Daytona, and it's like, okay, who wants to lead now? Who wants? To, there's strategy involved, but you really don't know who. I mean, sometimes you can. I'm not saying it's an absolute, but there are times where you're not sure who's really the quick car and who's, you know, do, do you want to? Of course, I said last week. I said, you know. Uh, the top three cars only have like a 10% chance of wrecking or whatever the stat was I found. And, and beyond that, it's it's all, it's a free-for-all. Because we've seen guy, cars that have gone to the back, they've actually still been wiped out and wrecked. So, I mean, there's strategy involved, but I kind of like to know going into a race, okay, this guy's fast to begin with. Okay, he's starting to fade because this guy, you know, set up the car for later in the race. Okay, let's see how this works out. And I kind of like being able to see, okay, the ebbs and flows of the race. Talladega, yeah. you throw that all out the window. Don't or, you? you know, who set who set their car for a long run, who set up their car for a short run, stuff like that. But uh, let me ask both of you guys. Now, you know, you watch the truck race uh, at, at Dega, and Johnny Sauter crosses yeah. the line first, gets the wind taken away because he went below the yellow line. The same thing happened during the cup race uh, that concluded on Monday. Ryan Blaney goes beneath the yellow line, doesn't get penalized. All four wheels? No, it's not all four. I know that. But, but Sauter was a little more egregious. When I saw when I saw Sauter do it, I said, right? I mean, before he hit the finish line, I'm like, yep, that ain't going to work. Right. So well, I, I knew with Sauter, but did you guys have any problem with NASCAR mm, calling it? No. Uh, it's, it's E-I-R-I. Yeah. Except no. in rare instances and it's a judgment call. I don't, I, I would not have penalized. If I'm up in the in the booth, I would have let it go. I, you know, it just begs the question: Do you just get rid of the whole damn yellow line altogether? And oh, it's for safety. My vote is yes. I I agree. So you know, if these guys want to sit there and it's funny race it's, more dangerously and and head towards back towards the infield and right. the grass how or they used if to. There, if there's no yellow line, then there's the grass. Yeah, right. Because, absolutely. I mean, if if you're able to make block the way they do, and we and we saw with. Um, uh, Alex Bowman taking out, you know, third of the field. Well, what's the difference if you do that all the way down to the grass then? Right. 
I mean, you can't you can't have it. Well, we do it for safety, and then you have these wild ass, you know, cutting in front of people like we saw, and then, well, I guess I misjudged it, you know. Yeah, I know, and it just seems like in the last few years, the amount of drivers, and not even just the Bowmans, but you know, you've seen Clint Boyer do it. You've seen other uh, established veteran uh, race car drivers that misjudge it by six inches a foot yeah. and uh and cause these huge huge wrecks it i don't know if the spotters are getting worse uh you know maybe they need uh with all the cost cutting in nascar they've had to uh their binoculars budget has taken a hit and they can't uh help these guys out as much as uh, they used to but there just seems like a lot of stupid cautions that they didn't have to, you know, that are unnecessary taking out so many cars. Well, the quote was, uh, well, that one's on me. Didn't realize how fast 22 was coming. Shouldn't have attempted to block that big run. Sorry for those invo- involved. Got to go win now, Kansas now. Yeah. Oops. Sorry. We'll uh, we'll, we'll race next week. Yeah. And it, it's, you know. No money out of my pocket. Right. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. We, we've, that's been a, a subject on this show for a while, but. Um, his teammate, Will Byron, you actually were able to interview, mm-hmm. and we'll have that later coming up later on the show. So looking forward to that. But, you know, it's let's take a look at the playoffs. We got to take the playoffs. Yeah, three Hendrick drivers all below the cut line entering uh, today's race, along with Clint Boyer, who's oh. it's one of, it's his home track. Well, here's the interesting thing, was that Ryan Blaney is now – now lined up second was was actually the twelfth guy. Yeah. So you went from the bottom to the top with that win at Talladega, which is something we kind of expected, Doug. Right? I mean, at Talladega we've seen in the past guys like James Hilton winning and and Ron Bouchard. Exactly. Not saying that Ryan Blaney's in that in that in that class. It is a Penske driver, but it, it's always one for surprises, hasn't you know, it? You remember in the old days where it was 13 races, 13 faces, Yeah. you know, until Waltrip won it in 82 for the second time. Right. And uh, place is always just a wild card. So it. I was listening uh, when I was driving around earlier this week, I was listening to uh, NASCAR radio, and they asked a question, what was a more surprising finish, Kyle Larson winning at Dover or Blaney winning at Dega. And for me, it's it's Larson at yeah. Dover because, you know, like you guys just said, Dega's such a toss-up. Anybody can win. You know, Dover, that's that's more of a, of an actual race. Yeah, and especially how Kyle Larson's been running all year. I mean, certainly, as, as I, I, I admit, I'm a, I'm a big Kyle Larson fan, and the frustration I feel having him run for that 42 car, uh, you know, we've always said, it, if this guy's career is 10 years earlier, there would have been such a bidding war for his services from Hendrick and, and, and Joe Gibbs racing and all that. Now he's basically, re, you know, has to re-sign with Ganassi racing. Cause there's just not a, the rides aren't there and the money isn't there. Yeah. So, I mean, unfortunate for him, I'm happy though. He got the win. And like I said, if he can surprise, if he can get into that final round at Homestead, it could be, you know, the onus is going to be on those other three drivers because he's been so, he's done so well at Homestead. In that final race. Yeah, he owns that track. And, uh, you know, but he's going to have to win one of the next three to get in. I, I still don't, you know, I still don't see him pointing his way in unless, uh, 
unless a lot of guys have big problems in two out of the three races next round. Well, and and last week, you know, at, at Talladega, there were certainly some surprises. I mean, guys are running up front, uh, just looking through the back of the field because they didn't finish. Unfortunately, Matt, your our friend Matt De Benedetto was running very well, was up in that lead pack, and so it seemed like he could be. One, you know, that final 10 laps, he might be somebody with the Toyota power. But David Reagan, too. It's yeah. been a long time since David Reagan been running up front. Uh, he looked good for a period of time, and then he got wiped off. Chris Boucher and, of course, Stenhouse. It's funny watching those two guys, you know, because they're basically swapping rides now uh, f- for next year. And, you know, and, and Boucher is a heck of a driver. I mean, I I thought he was a talent, and well, when – when Jack Roush says, well, I guess my biggest mistake was letting him go. That's pretty powerful stuff. And then uh, Brendan Gaughan, friend of the show, he was yeah. up there. I mean, he was, and he, and that's why he races these races, because he knows he can. he's going to have decent equipment, you know, above average equipment, and uh, he's going to be competitive, and he certainly was right up there. Yeah, he was, and uh, that was great to see. Like you mentioned with David Reagan, he's another one. He's got tons of talent. If he was ever able to find his way into an actual race team that had some money. He did his, for a while until his running money ran out. You know, his career would be night and day different than, than what it is now. He, You know, you look at him, he's an also-ran, and unless you sit there and kind of follow it week in, week out, and, and fairly religiously, you don't realize how much talent David Reagan yeah. has. He's, that's okay. He's crying all the way to the bank, though. He, he still was one of these guys he, he had to pay a little bit to get into the show but was able to bring more money out of it. So, yeah, you know, he's going out in his own terms and Paul Menard too, with, with his situation, uh, Doug, I guess the question is, and we had this yesterday, are, are cup drivers having as much fun as they were 10 years ago? I don't think so. I don't think so. Either. Yeah. yeah I, I, it certainly seems that way when you see the situation with Carl Edward, Carl Edwards. Now when you, Carl Edwards retired in your back of your mind, you're thinking eh, he might be back in a year or two. Yeah, I thought he was just going to get his teeth shaved down a little bit and uh, and fix his smile, but he hasn't come back yet. So, uh, yeah, that's that definitely surprised me. Yeah, it, it is, and so and you see Matt Kansas, Matt Kansas going, eh, you know, I'm going to spend some time with my kids, and then you see Jeff Gordon jet setting all around, around the world, doing a lot of stuff in racing that you probably wish he could have done earlier in his life, you know, going to Goodwood, going into Europe, doing all these things, and. You know, I mean, it, 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 those guys, their timing was impeccable because they got lucky. They, well, they uh, rode the wave. Yeah. They yeah. rode, yeah. They, they definitely did. And, they were able to ride the wave where they got extremely wealthy, where they didn't need to race or be involved in racing. It wasn't like back in the old days where, you know, you could be very successful, but you're still pretty much running for a paycheck week to week. And then afterward, you still have to get a job in the booth or whatever to, to make some cash. You know, these guys are able to step away. And it's not like the young guys who are coming in now who, you know, granted their retirement uh, fund looks a hell of a lot better than mine, but it's they're not making nearly the same mon- amount of money right. as guys were 10, 15 years ago. So they're going to have to think about what they're going to do when they step away. You know, it, it, it's sort of like the deal with uh, Dale Jr., uh, where he said that one of the negotiation points on his contract with Hendrick was to uh, the, the color of the side skirts on the car, that money wasn't the motivating factor for him to sign. It was having some control over some little details. 
because he said, I've got more money than I can spend right mm-hmm. now. And uh, so being able to not have the side skirts painted black that they were the body color of the car, that was actually a negotiation point in his contract with Hendrick. Well, he almost had way too much money than he could spend because he almost went up in a ball of flames in a plane. So, Well, that's part of the risk, though. Oh, absolutely. Flying your own plane, airplane. Absolutely. But you look at – and we're not seeing guys like Will Byron and, and, and you know, Alex Bowman and these guys are crying poor. They're still making a very, very nice living. It's just that they're not at that upper crust – you know, level. They're still, yeah. they're, 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 they're still st- eating steak. Yeah. They're still, yes. Yeah. It's like the guys that, you know, the golfers that were lucky enough to come up in the Tiger Woods era. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the smaller purses that were pre Tiger, and it's not the purses that are kind of going down now. Um, it was everything, you know, golf was at the height of its popularity. And uh, these guys were all getting filthy, filthy rich. You could be an average golfer. And make a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's um, one thing I did want to bring up. You know, we had Ryan Blaney and Ryan Newman, the two Ryans battling for the for the win. Did you have a preference on anyone? Uh, Blaney, just because I like, you know, when he, when he rocks the mullet. Uh, you know, Newman's just a pain in the ass, and it doesn't seem like he's got a whole lot of personality. You know, he could take the rocket scientist and, and shove it wherever. I don't care how smart you are. Just drive. And, uh, you know, he's always a pain in the ass on the track. So I was rooting for Blaney. Doug, do you have a preference? I was actually pulling for Newman just to see a Roush car get a win. Yeah, got it. When's the last time they were competitive? Um, They have been. I mean, they, they've they've improved. I mean, they, they're, they've hit the bottom and they're coming back up. He has definitely elevated that program. Oh, yes. Newman, yeah. yeah. Newman yeah, has absolutely. definitely elevated that program. Absolutely. And I think it shows how important you still need an experienced driver. Well, and let's face it, he's an engineer. So that that helps. And having a guy being able to tell, you know, let the let the engineers and the mechanics know what the car is doing, what we need to do, is certain, certainly very, very important. And, and to, their, to their credit, the Roush cars have been good on super speedways. Well, good. I, you know, a, a broken clock is right two times uh, a day also. But, you know, I think um, a lot of the stuff that's gone on this week, you know, people were talking about, um, you know, Stenhouse and, and Busher basically sw- swapping rides. I laugh at the people that say that it's a step down for Stenhouse because, you know, you look at the amount of money being spent by both those teams. It's it's the same, if not more, for JTG than it is for uh for Roush. I think the step down is going to be in his salary. Well, yeah, it'll be in his salary, but, but yeah. which makes sense because I don't right. know what the hell JTG is doing. Their repair bills are about to go through the freaking roof. You know, Stenhouse. As, somebody, as I read on Twitter, somebody said, oh, it's okay, it's the last year of that car. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, they they don't have to worry about freeing up garage space. There's going to be nothing left. But, uh, you know, that's why him and Danica were such a great couple. They never got a, a car that they couldn't crash. <laughs> so, Doug, you got, you got I got nothing. I got nothing either <laughs> after that. All right. Let's. Let, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk Kansas and uh, find out who do you think we, we's going to win. And, of course, the the breaking news. You want to do the breaking news thing? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, sure. Breaking news. Uh, on the fan, it's powered by Radio.com Sports and brought to you by Indeed. Post a job today at Indeed.com 
slash higher. Shocking. Shocking breaking news. Christopher Bell on the pole for the Xfinity race. No, no way. How how could that ever happen? Wow. So we'll we'll talk more Kansas coming up after this on the final inspection show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove along with our friends at David Hobbs Honda. So guys, you like beef jerky? Who, does, who doesn't like a little beef jerky, huh? Yeah, that's good stuff to you ask me. And they have also they have chicken jerky, they have turkey jerky. I don't do the hippie stuff. I just do the normal beef jerky. Especially like, when it's fresh and homemade. You like a little spice in it? You like the spicy, yeah, like beef sticks yeah. in it? Well, Greg, Greg Alding used to. Yeah. Yeah, you hear about this? I'm just going to read this from uh, by Justin Lang. Long, I mean, uh, from NBC uh, Sports Network. Uh, Greg Alding's throat started to swell. Then came the chest pains, and his body began to go numb. Xfinity Series driver was flying to Kansas City when he began to have health issues, leading to the plane he was on making an emergency landing in St. Louis and medics rushing to the plane to help Galding. Everything was fine when he boarded, boarded the flight Friday as it left Concord, and it's one of these team planes or a bunch of team uh, uh, members that get together. And uh, he had some homemade beef jerky, and he goes, I, I, could, I could feel my throat started uh, slowly to swell up. Chest pains followed, and his con- throat continued to swell, and his began, and, and then his, uh, he had more numbness in his, in his body. He goes, I thought I was having a, a mild heart attack or something. I went to the flight attendant and said, hey, I need oxygen right now. She comes back, gives me oxygen, puts a mask on me, and I feel like I'm about to pass out. And my eyes started to roll back in my head, my arms, and all my limbs were shaking so bad that I couldn't control them. As Galding took oxygen, a lot of the Stuart Haas guys and the flight attendants were amazing. They felt like they almost saved my life by talking to me, keeping me awake. They were like, please stare in my eyes, look in my eyes, as uh, Galding's condition uh, continued to worsen. I told the flight attendant, you need to tell the pilots they need to, plane, they need to land the plane now, he said. I can't make it. I literally, and I feel like I'm going to uh, pass out. And literally in two minutes, I can feel the, the plane start to go down as the, the plane made an emergency landing at St. Louis Lambert International Airport. As soon as the plane landed, they opened the door. Firefighters came in to help me get off the plane. My limbs were shaking so bad I couldn't even walk under my own power. They got me off, and then medics started to go to work on me. He was treated in the ambulance and soon began to feel better, and the swelling in his throat went away. Um, he told the plane not to wait for him. He left an hour later. Uh, it, so it it sounds like uh, uh, it's interesting, though. It, later in the article, it says the beef jerky could have caused the health issue, uh, stalled the uh, stunned Galding. He goes, I asked a doctor about it. He goes, I've eaten jerky the, my whole life. I love jerky. I'm not blaming anything on the beef jerky. But the thing is, the doc looked at me and said, you can get stung by a bee, bee 40 times, and that 41st time, your body changes all the time, and you could be allergic, and you could almost die. So that could have been the case in, in, with this, uh, but I'm never going to pick up beef jerky again. I'm done with beef jerky. Wow. Have you guys ever had an allergic reaction like that? Uh, I have not, but I've seen it happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, not me. I'm not allergic to anything. So, uh, well, I wasn't. Now it's gluten, but okay. before yeah. that, no. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, that's crazy. It is. That's it's... absolutely crazy. So yeah, Greg Galding, quite the yeah. It's not saying it's going to happen to you if you eat beef jerky, but yeah, you never know when you can get an allergic reaction to something. And uh, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's not the f- funnest feeling. I couldn't imagine, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, good thing he's all right and, uh, you know, had the good sense to, A, ask for the oxygen, and the people around him had the good sense to try to keep him awake and and make sure that plane got down ASAP because that could have been a a real different ending if if there would have been too many uh, delays in in what happened up there. Yeah. of course, this week uh, going into the final round in the round of 12 at Kansas, of course, we have the two winners, Kyle Larson and Ryan Blaney on top of the leaderboard. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex and probably Kyle Bush are locked in pretty much. Uh, we have Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski uh, following, and then with Joy Logano is, is in that eighth spot, 18 points up. And then looking on the outside as of now, it's Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott, Clint Boyer, and William Byron, who we'll talk to uh, later this hour. And it looks like for those four, uh, Doug, do you think it's going to be a win, uh, probably a win for them to get in at this point? I think so. And, you know, the Hendrick cars always run strong at this track. Uh, so I think they've got a they've got a good chance. Jeff? Yeah, it's definitely win or get in. I don't think any of, any of the bottom four do it. I think the top eight. Uh, as currently sit, they uh, they will be your eight drivers in the next round. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look, Hamlin, Joe Gibbs Racing, Truex, Stuart Haas. Uh, no, Joe Gibbs Racing. Wow. <laughs> wow. Ooh. Uh, and then you had Bush uh, with uh, Gibbs. Stuart Haas Racing with Kevin Harvick and then the two Penske cars. Yeah. Well, what do they all have in common? They're the top teams in NASCAR. Yep. Absolutely, cream and, rises to the top. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't, I don't see, you know, Joey Logano. Like you said, he's, he's the cutoff guy right now on the good side, and uh, I don't see the defending champ going out. Does Matt Kenseth get in like the pace car and get out there and take him out? I hope so. <laughs> you know, you know me. I hope so. I, uh, I am no Logano fan, but uh, it's just it, it won't happen. Doug, well, you know, of course you weren't on the show when that happened and all that. What was your take on the Joey Logano, Matt Kenseth thing from 20, is it 2015 now, I think it is? I think so. You know, I've really kind of mellowed on the whole thing now. Um, well, I want 2015, Doug. I rate Doug then. Come on. I was That was one of the, the things I was the most irate on. And, in fact, I said on this show, unfortunately I've been proven wrong, that Joey Logano would never win a championship because of that. Because I thought he was in position to win that championship 2015. And because of his stupidity and short-sightedness, he took out a guy he really didn't have to take out. And then he got taken out of Martinsville. And that took him pretty much out of the, the whole thing for that year, which he probably would have won. Yeah, and uh, you should have seen it, Doug, because last year when uh, when we were previewing <laughs> Miami and I picked Logano to, uh, to win the championship – before that race, I thought Steve was going to kill me. <laughs> so, you know, we do, uh, we're do doing the last segment making predictions. I'm all out of breath because I'm running around the studio trying to avoid him. He's chasing me. You know, clearly the thing with, with Matt and, and what culminated at Martinsville, that had built up over a long time. And, um, 
you know, at, at the time, um, I actually thought it was kind of a, a low-class move yeah. on Matt's part, but uh, Joey definitely had it coming. He had it coming, and I enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, I, yeah, it yeah. was the old Costanza. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> and sure, why not? You know, because, and I think there is a, I think, uh, let's see, whatever, 40 other cars that were in that race, mm-hmm. they were all kind of giggling inside their helmet when they drove past, you weren't know, they? Personally, I, I prefer the Richard Childress take off the watch <laughs> back in the garage here. Yeah. I prefer that method of solving it versus using the race car as a weapon. But uh, Or the Ron Horn today, don't punch me in my new teeth. <laughs> well, you know, when the big uproar, like when uh, when NASCAR announced that there were certain tracks that would have UFC fights in the in the infield before the races and stuff like that, they should have a ring set up for post-race. And if two drivers want to sit there and duke it out in the ring, you throw gloves on them and you televise it as part of the post-race show, you're telling me that that's not going to draw a huge-ass audience? Ricky Stenhouse against, you know, uh, 39 other drivers? You know, that would be phenomenal. You can't throw water or Gatorade either. Yeah. And you don't get these guys sitting there throwing punches, but they're too, you know, they're man enough to throw punches, but they're not man enough to take off their helmet first. That is so weak. So weak. When you go running down pit road trying to find somebody and you're running with your helmet on, I just pray that somebody trips you and, and you hurt yourself because you, you look like a, a, just a, a ass clown. Qualifying is underway at Kansas now, but uh, in the final practice, uh, the, the best 15-lap average, which I think is very important, I think we'd all agree on that. Kyle Busch was your fastest, over 15 laps. Ryan Blaney, second. Denny Hamlin was third. Uh, Kevin Harvick, fourth. Joey Logano, fifth. Of course, all uh, guys that are in the playoffs at this point. Uh, Kurt Busch, Jimmy Johnson on the outside, they were sixth and seventh quickest. Martin Truex, not a surprise there. William Byron, and then uh, Daniel Suarez, a bit of a surprise, at number 10. So seven of the top ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't tell me NASCAR doesn't give those uh, the playoff guys a couple extra horsepower. How would they do that? There are ways. Doug, they, Doug. They, did you did you see the Kyle Busch save yesterday in yes. practice? Yeah, that was impressive. Got up into the uh, into the the marbles as they say, yep. and you know, say what you want. You know, Kyle. Kyle Bush can be uh, quite the curmudgeon. He can be this and that. Say what you will. He's a hell of a driver, though, isn't he, Jeff? Oh, God, he's got so much talent. It, it's disgusting. And, uh, you know, I, I love it. I think that, uh, you know, single-handedly he's saving and ruining the truck series. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he just needs to be an owner and not a racer. Right. Uh, you know, he shouldn't be uh, racing any more Xfinity races. But – if you watch Kyle Busch race and you're not entertained, and if you don't think that NASCAR needs a bad guy off the track as well in post-race interviews and all the uh, excitement that he brings in that and uh, the coverage that he brings to NASCAR with, you know, uh, when he won Chicago and he's making the crying faces because the fans are booing him and stuff like that, he's phenomenal for the sport. I tell you what, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have Jeff's interview with uh, Hendrick driver Will Byron. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, 
Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb. We turn now to the great Midwest Bank hotline. My honor to welcome in William Byron, driver of the number 24 Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. William, how you doing today, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for uh, for giving us a couple minutes uh, before we get into uh, Kansas and all the uh, pressure and all that kind of stuff with it being an elimination race. Let's take a quick look back at Talladega. You finished 33rd, got spun out by Kurt Busch. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, the Talladega race? Uh, it was tough. You know, we, we um, obviously we had a good weekend going. We won stage one. That was great. Um we qualified well. We had good speed in our car. You know, everything was going really well. We just unfortunately got kind of an untimely push and, and uh, just kind of um, a worst possible situation with the, all the cars kind of pushing each other in the bottom lane. And I was I was the leader of that lane and got shoved aside. So, um, you know, it's tough. It's really nothing you can do differently uh, looking back on it. You, know, you think about it and try to evaluate um what you could have done differently but honestly it's just it is what it is and you move on and um you know unfortunately kind of put us in a bad spot for this weekend but uh, you know we we knew going into this weekend we were probably going to have to win so um we're we're going after it and we're, we're really excited about the weekend what are your thoughts on super speedway racing do you enjoy it or do you not like the you know uh chips may fall where they may because there's not much you can control uh aspect of it well, I think it's it's one of those things. I don't love it. Um, you know, I haven't won one of those races, so that's probably I'm probably biased because I think once you win one, uh, I think your opinion changes. But um, you know, I've led a lot of laps in them. Um, to be honest, every year I've kind of led laps at at Daytona or Talladega, but um, you know, it's just not at the right time, not at the right moment. And I feel like a lot of it is just a lot of strategy and involved and. Um, you know, you try to stay up front and try to keep yourself in a good position the whole race, but sometimes all it takes is just one bad move from somebody else and your your race is done. So it's hard to really kind of it's hard to figure out, you know, what you really learn from each event because um ultimately the finish and the result isn't there most of the time. So um it's kind of one of those things that doesn't doesn't sit super well if you don't finish, uh, to kind of look back and think on even if you did have a lot of good moments during the race, like we did on on Sunday and Monday, you know, with winning the stage and and leading uh, a bunch of laps, so uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those bittersweet moments, I guess. Yeah. Well, you enter uh, Kansas currently twelfth in the point standings, elimination race. Uh, you know, you said that uh, you know you pretty much know that it's must win. Chad Knauss has to obviously be a very calming influence, knowing all the success. And, um, you know, just the experience that, that he has had over the years. How has Chad helped you this season uh, take that next step forward in your career? Well, to be honest, I think it's a lot of, a lot of things behind the scenes. I think he's kind of um, – I think he's done so many things behind the scenes that have propelled our team forward that I can't really even imagine. So, I think just been the, in the build of the car – is obviously different than what I had last year. And, um, you know, we, we have faster cars, which is great. And I feel like um, a lot of that's uh, a tribute and a credit to him. And, and then outside of that, I think we just kind of, um, it's a combination of a lot of, a lot of things work in our direction, you know, having a great group of guys and, um, 
just kind of being able to all work together towards one goal has been great. So plus I feel like his communication with me is, is pretty pretty straightforward and um, we're willing and able to kind of talk about anything uh, during the weekend and that, that probably helps our cause too. All right. What uh, What's your confidence level entering Kansas? I feel good about it. I think that we're going to, I think we're going to have a fast car and um, ultimately, you know, I think it's just one of those races where everyone's going to bring their best equipment because it's the, the cutoff uh, race of this, this round. And I'm um, really kind of looking forward to the next, you know, couple of races with Martinsville and Texas coming up as well. I think those are going to be great opportunities to win and hopefully we can get a win, um, you know, on Sunday. And then that would propel us into the next round. Talking with William Byron here on a great Midwest Bank hotline on a final inspection show. Okay, so now all the hard questions are done. So you're from North Carolina uh, originally. Would that make you a Panthers fan? Absolutely. So do you think that uh, Cam Newton should get his job back, or you think Carolina should stick with uh, Kyle Allen? Uh, That's a tough question. I mean, I – to be honest, I think my gut feel is to stick with um, stick with Kyle Allen. It's, you know, he's five zero as a starter, and I think that he's done a great job. He's thrown zero interceptions, hasn't turned the ball over a lot. Um, you know, we scored a, we scored a lot of points as well. Um, so, you know, scoring points hasn't been a an issue, and it kind of was to start the season. So, um, I think they should stick with what they've got going on. But I also can't you know could see a case for for Cam. Uh, based on his past uh, success, but ultimately it's kind of um, it's kind of what have you done for me lately? And I think in the last in the last probably handful of games, even going back to last year, um, you know we haven't really had a lot of success with him. So um, I don't know. I'm interested to see what they do though. All right, in about we only got about a minute left. So in about 30 seconds here, uh, William. What is the what car in your personal collection in your own garage do you enjoy driving the most? Well, I've got a um, I've got a Chevy Tahoe that I drive around town the most, and it's a great car. It's got a lot of room. Um, I also got a Corvette that that's really nice, but I'm interested to see how that new Corvette, the mid-engine one, is, and maybe I'll get a maybe I'll get one of those. Those, those look pretty cool. Nice. And then finally, what uh, when you're driving around town, what are you listening to? I just like to listen to um, country music, sometimes uh, some podcasts. You know, there's a couple of really good podcasts, sports-based podcasts that I like to listen to. Uh, Dale's podcast is good, too. So, um, so yeah, I like to kind of country music or any, any podcast. New country or pop country? Or uh, old school country or pop country? Uh, kind of a mix. I don't love, I don't, I don't love anything that's brand new, uh, country-wise, unless it's unless it's from certain, you know, unless it's from uh, certain certain artists. Okay, sounds good. Well, William, obviously, we wish you the best of luck uh, this weekend in Kansas. Hopefully, you get through to the next round of the playoffs. Uh, best of luck the rest of the season as well, and hopefully, you're hosting that championship trophy after Miami. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That was William Byron. He joined us on a great Midwest Bank hotline. And, yes, Jeffrey, that was Will Byron on the final inspection show. And, uh, yeah, pop country? No. Yeah, no thanks. Not in my truck. No. Oh, no.
course, I don't have a truck anymore. You have a truck. I have a truck. You don't tell me you do, you don't play pop country. I don't listen to anything with auto tune. Yeah, oh, very good. There you go. Speaking of country music, have you seen the Ken Burns documentary? I have not, but everybody's raving about it. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I even tell people, even if you're not, a, I, and I'm not a huge country music guy, but the country music I'm going to gravitate to is old school country. It's fantastic because it kind of brings. It's it's not only the it's the stories within it that makes it so interesting. And, you know, Ken Burns is, a, is a, that easygoing style. Mm-hmm. And the interviews that he did, there's some great interviews in there. And it is very, very interesting just well, he, how it evolves. He's phenomenal. Uh, the Civil War yeah. and uh, the Vietnam War that he did were just start to finish. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, it was really good. And uh, if, if you have a chance, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, of course, the... The, the juiciest part is the 64 to 68, you know, kind of the height of, of country music. And I always like to tell the Marty Robbins story is uh, I remember as a kid, I used to always see Marty Robbins in my recent pictorial magazines and that. And, you know, these gaudy colored purple and yellow cars and you drove Mopar uh, m- most of the time and was a local Nas- Nashville driver and that. And, and it's like one day I saw him on TV <laughs> going to my parents. I'm like, he's a singer. <laughs> <laughs> I think right then they knew they were we'll, raising a racing geek. We'll get into that if we talk a little bit about the reunion we had last weekend. Okay. M- Marty's car was a restored Robbins car that made it Daytona. Yeah, I want to there. talk about that. Yes, the Daytona. So uh, let's talk about that too. Coming, But before that, uh, we have some breaking news, don't we, Jeff? Yeah, we sure do. And again, breaking news on the fan. It's powered by Radio.com Sports. And brought to you by Indeed, post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Uh, Kevin Harvick's car failed inspection four times pre-qualifying, per Bob Pachris on Twitter. It says, unclear whether it's a 10-point penalty, because in the past he would have had practice after qualifying. So is this now uh, considered pre-race? We will let you know. It's kind of interesting how that would happen, because... You know, I, I always go back to what Robbie Robbie Gordon when when they had the old school set up with the with the penalties and that, and he he got busted and he got the, like the okay one more time, and and they asked him well how does that change? He says well when you're doing a car setup you like to push it as far as you can. When you're in the situation at that at that time with him, you can't take those chances. So you're gonna you know you're gonna you know go to go real conservative on on your setup. What I'm wondering, if this happens after two times, Doug, you know, you're like, okay, let's make sure, let's just go conservative, let's get the car in line, put up a time, and then we'll deal with it. Uh, isn't this weird how, how – I don't know how you can fail four times. I don't either. Yeah, it, it's really surprising. I, I'm kind of curious to see what was the actual what, – what, what's the issue on the car? Is it an aero thing? Is it a mechanical thing? Suspension? Is it ride height? You know, there's a lot of things it could be, but for them to do it four times, like I said, after two times, you're the you're just like, let's just get this thing through. We'll go real conservative. Make sure we have a good range of uh, of uh, error, and so it doesn't happen again. So, well, per Bob Pachris now, uh, okay. NASCAR says no points penalty for the number four car. Let's see, yeah, it okay, but why? How do you, you know? You wonder if it's a body panel issue. You know, there's some something in in you know because now they have that the what, what do you call it with the black light thing and the, the scanner the scanner thing where 
there's a deviation in the body panel maybe that you know you can only adjust so much i don't know we'll see what happens but yeah this is kind of weird you know this is it's also you know we used to joke with the old templates doug you know you could you know if you're nascar back then you could kind of let somebody go through now you can't do that can you no you can't no it's like now things are so exact and down so much it's almost too good of an inspection and we don't know if it's if it's like squeezing a balloon where they you massage one thing but you change something else. That's a good point. That's a good point. Okay, another update. Oh, I thought you were giving me the update. Like you got more breaking news on this thing. No, I was saying we've got one minute to go before we got to take a break. Well, you want to take a break now, or shoot, let's uh, tell you what. You know what? We're gonna take a sports flash at the top of the hour. Then we have David Land coming up, and we're gonna talk uh, some IMSA racing. We're going to talk about the Petit Le Mans. We're going to talk about some IndyCar news. And is F1 actually coming to Miami and racing around the Hard Hard Rock Coliseum, whatever you want to call that thing down there that the Dolphins play in? We'll find out that and more coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR. IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki along with Jeff Orlowski and Doug Selinger back in. Skellinger. I always say Skellinger. I don't know why I do that. So Superbird Doug will work. Superbird Doug. I love it. Better than Daytona. You know, every radio show has got to have the third wheel with, a, with an yeah, odd name. Superbird Doug. I know, that's what you, when you call me on my phone, that's what comes up. Superbird Doug. So joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, of course, one of our favorite guests, David Land. Of course, you can check him out on YouTube with uh, David. Just look, just, I can't say Google. You got YouTube search, David Land, L-E-N-D. David, welcome to the show. YouTube is owned by Google, so generally speaking, if you search my name, I'll come up first. There you go. The advantage of being associated with them. It's <laughs> good stuff. Hey, I saw your latest video. Uh, I was doing some prep work last night, and, uh, you know, F1 at Miami what 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 odds do you give that thing to actually happen? I'd say it's probably 50-50. I, I think they tried to do this a couple of years ago. They got very close, and then it didn't happen. Um, but as I said in my video, I'm kind of getting Caesar Caesar's Palace yes. uh, vibes from this. So, you know, even if it happens, I don't know if it's going to last more than two years. Right. And, you know, it's just, uh, just hmm. you know, you know, the, the thing I – the race I really wish it would have they were would have been able to pull off was that one across the river in Jersey, which I'm sure you would have loved. Because uh, oh, would have been fantastic. Yeah, because I, I, you know, for the circuit itself actually looked like a really cool circuit, and being so close to New York and everything, it it seemed like I was a suspect because of the politics involved. But I was like, yeah, I could get behind this. This kind of makes sense. This Miami thing, I'm kind of scratching my head. Well, that's the big problem, especially with the East Coast races, is the politics. 
Uh, it seems F1 is pretty bent on, on having a street circuit in the United States, or at least a temporary circuit. And, you know, unfortunately, you have to go through a lot more legislation. Mm-hmm. So when they were trying in New Jersey, and even when IndyCar was trying in Boston, uh, the, the politicians here are a lot less friendly to motorsports than they would be, say, in the Midwest or even, even in California, believe it or not. So, uh, you know, it's going to be weird. And, and it's even – I read uh, Adam Stern on Twitter – great reporter for the uh, uh, Sports Business Journal, is already discussing that, hey, you know, there's there's people in Miami uh, that are upset about the potential uh, climate impact of a Formula One race, which I kind of right. laugh at when, when, when they've got Disney World and all this stuff that, that does a heck of a lot more damage to the environment than, mm-hmm. than a Formula One race would. But, you know, uh, even if it gets there, like I said, it's, it's going to be, man, it's going to be an uphill battle to keep it around. It certainly will be. And, of course, last week you were at uh, Road Atlanta for the Petit Le Mans. I love the Coca-Cola hat. I've already did a search for it on Google, and the last thing I need, though, is another hat. Uh, but a uh, pretty cool event, and uh, kind of walk us through it uh, with, with, with you know, no real surprises re- regarding the championship winners and that. But uh, as as seems like we go through this every year with IMSA, there's always a question on what teams are going to return, isn't there? Yeah, you know, I was kind of walking through the paddock area, and I have to say, the Petit Le Mans Road Atlanta. If you haven't been, go. It's it's really, in my opinion, the one modern classic race that has kind of come around in the last twenty years. I mean, it's it's kind of risen to the level of, of races that have been around for sixty, seventy years, which is pretty crazy to think about. But yeah, you know, there there was a, several prototype teams that don't look like they're coming back. I know the the five from Action Express Racing, which has been so dominant. Uh, as a recent, especially in the endurance events, that car is no longer going to be around. The 54 Nissan with Core Autosport, that car is not going to be there. Uh, and there are other changes, like the, the Ford GT program is going away. That means Chip Ganassi is going away, at least for the time being, in IMSA. The uh, Chevrolet Corvette is changing. Uh, that car is becoming a mid-engine car. Uh, so, so, too, for the uh, the Porsche, very loud, exciting car. Not going to be quite as loud, not going to be quite as exciting. Uh, going forward because they're changing the, the engine layout in that car. And, uh, and you know, there's also the change of leadership, which I'm sure you're about to ask me about, right. uh, with Scott Atherton uh, being replaced by John Doonan, formerly a Mazda Motorsports. Then you've got the question of, well, what's Mazda's future in IMSA? So uh, there's a lot of questions going on into, you know, the, the next DPI regulations, which I think everybody's kind of has a wait-and-see attitude to see where everything kind of shakes out with that. It certainly does. Um, yeah, let's take a look at that. With Mazda, with the, I mean, should they? I mean, if you're a Mazda at this point, what 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 is there to gain? You know, and you you, you lost your number one guy, and, and Dunan was was, you know, is is such a powerful leader and and so well liked. You know, there's definitely a bit of a uh, a vacuum there. So if you know, if I'm if if I'm Mazda, I'm wondering, you know, why. Sh- you know, maybe do one more year. Well, what's your opinion on that? Well, the big clue is going to be who, whoever they replace Dunan with. If it's somebody who is uh, pretty well entrenched in motorsports and specifically IMSA, I think there's probably a pretty good chance that they're going to stick around. Uh, the, the big question that I've kind of had, or at least just kind of thinking out loud, is that Multimatic builds the chassis for, uh, for the Mazda prototype. There's a pretty good chance that Ford is coming in when the next DPI regulations come around. The Ford GT is built by Multimatic. 
so would two chassis or would two manufacturers, auto manufacturers, be able to coexist under the current DPI rules using the same chassis? That's something that I kind of question, and whether or not Ford might uh, might push uh, Mazda out, or if Mazda's already on the way out, it may make it very easy for Ford to just kind of pick up the development of the Multimatic chassis. I think that's kind of my question of whether or not they are going to stick around is whether or not they have a chassis or, you know, the chassis preference that they've kind of stuck with recently. Mm-hmm. And you you were actually able to see the the new mid-engine Corvette. Uh, how, how did it sound to you? Uh, it, well, if you're used to the current uh, very throaty V8 mm-hmm. sound, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Uh, I kind of thought it sounded a bit more like a, a kind of, you know, like 2008 to 2012 model Porsche. That's not a bad thing. Obviously, it makes a noise, which is more than you can say about, say, the BMW. Uh, but, you know, I think hardcore Corvette fans, it's going to take a, a little bit of getting used to. I think I misspoke in my video and called it a turbo. I think it's just a change uh, to a flat plane V8 that has changed that, that noise so significantly. But it is it is definitely going to take a lot of getting used to. I will say, though, the mid-engine layout of the car does look very good at speed. It does look good on track. It does. It does. Um, and then moving to IndyCar. Um, well, I, it, before let's let's revisit uh, Jan Magnussen leaving Corvette. Is that a surprise to you? Is he, is it you know? Let's, he's been there for a while. Well, eventually, you know, if you're a team manager, you've got to you know make a choice. Uh, do you want to go with youth or do you want to go with experience? And uh, I, I believe. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but I believe Jordan Taylor is moving from uh, his family team yes. into that Corvette seat. So, you know, they, they, they made a move. They decided they wanted a, a younger American driver. Obviously, Jordan is very good at, at, at public relations and stuff like that. Not saying Jan Magnuson isn't, mm-hmm. but, you know, at some point you have to make that move. And, you know, I, I can't disagree with it. It's just disappointing when you have somebody as legendary uh, who's done as much for that team as Jan has uh, to see him leave. And then moving uh, over the IndyCar, uh, I guess it was kind of a surprise because kind of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, next thing you know, Pat O'Ward is back in the series, isn't he? Yeah, well, not yet. Wow. <laughs> We're not counting the chickens yet, but, yeah, it definitely seems like, uh, as reported by I think Marshall Pruitt yesterday, yeah. That, that, yeah. Uh, it makes sense. This, it's no coincidence. Uh, that well, well, Dr. Helmut Marco, who runs the Red Bull program, I'm sure everyone's very familiar. Uh, you know, he released him from his contract. That usually doesn't happen. Uh, that that says to me a couple of things. Number one, Pato had something lined up already, uh, or had a better offer somewhere else, and that Helmut Marco thinks very highly of Pato Award. Um, oftentimes, you kind of think of uh, the Red Bull contracts is kind of being ironclad. You know, they're very protective of keeping their drivers in their in their uh, ranks. And, you know, you, you've got to think that, that he's going to be driving a McLaren next year in IndyCar. I, you know, with, with you know, they, they said, you know, they kind of said uh, no to Connor Daly, Connor Daly. So you're thinking, you know, of the drivers that are out there, if, if he's – you know, if if Paddle's available, which now he is, he, he's definitely in the, the pointy end of the stick, isn't he? Well, it, it seems like it's going to be between him and Oliver Askew. And um, and if Oliver Askew isn't chosen, now where does he go? Because we know that he has the, the Indy Lights money uh, and possibly some more sponsorship you never know. Uh, 
you know, where does he land there? It seems like we're running out of seats pretty quickly in IndyCar, especially with, again, drivers like Pato Award suddenly becoming on the, getting on the market. And of course we know that Zach Brown was already interested in, in Pato. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of drivers out there right now and, and not as many seats as I think we would like to see to get, get all these drivers in the series. Well, here's the other thing, you know, if, if I'm Pato Award and I still would like to get the formula one, what better way than to drive for Team McLaren in IndyCar? Well, the the big issue and the reason that he had to be released from Red Bull was not, you know, a performance issue. Is because he didn't have super license yeah. points or couldn't get them in Super Formula in Japan. Um, and so you can earn super license points in IndyCar, but you kind of have to be towards the pointy end of the grid. Right. Uh, so that's going to be on McLaren performing uh, at a level that can get Pato up up near the top of the point standings. You know, in a couple of years, you just never know. I, I think I think Colton Hurt is still a guy that, that could end up in F1 if he keeps performing at the level that he's been performing at. Uh, so, you know, never say never. Uh, I mean, the, the, Pato's a young guy. <laughs> you know, he's still a teenager, I believe, or he's, he's just yeah. 20. So so he, he's got a long way to go, and I think he's got a long, fruitful career ahead of him. And there will be a, a, a point in time where, you know, Andretti will get an offer for, for her to – if, if if it if it you know not an IndyCar but to go to Formula One where he'll have to say you know he 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 understands that 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 route and 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 if he has him under contract to to get bought out by a Formula One team if that would occur uh, you know Michael Andretti I'm sure will be fine with that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's that because then you're getting into crazy money which unfortunately in IndyCar there isn't any crazy money so. Well, that's the other thing is that, that Colton was the other driver Zach Brown was. I mean, there seems to be a pattern here uh, that, that Zach Brown wants a, a youthful driver with a lot of speed. That's why we know Askew, Award, and, and formerly Herta were all in the picture. It seems like they want a, a driver they can build this new partnership around and they can push to the front of the, front of the queue in terms of uh, a marketing uh, deal and, and somebody who will hopefully remain loyal to them, I guess, they would also probably be after. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly. So, uh, feelings on Talladega moving over to NASCAR. Any any surprises in the NASCAR world that you want to touch on? Uh, Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, I think that the what all of their drivers that were in the playoffs are currently on the outside looking in. Uh, Talladega was not a good race for them, and traditionally, it usually is. Uh, they're pretty good on the plate tracks. Um, so going into to Kansas, man, that's the thing that that's really – I'm going to be looking at this weekend. And it looks like Hendrick is mid-pack uh, mm-hmm. at Kansas. So, boy, oh, boy, um, <laughs> we, could, we could end up with a playoff uh, scenario where none of those drivers are in with a shot at the championship. And that's pretty unheard of. Would, would Chevy been – better to not announce that they're going to try and team up at Talladega and work together and, you know, team Chevy and all of this, because it kind of fell apart and the results weren't there. They probably shouldn't have made it so obvious that mm-hmm. that's what, that's what they were doing. Um, yeah. Is that, that, that didn't really rub me the right way. Um, I get it. You know, you, you have to kind of protect, protect the brand but at the same time man it, you know it's it's a race and and you know nascar supposedly put in limits on how many teammates you're allowed to have in a cup race to, to kind of prevent some of this from happening 
and yet Chevy's bringing however many, I think they've got like over 20, 20 cars or whatever, you know, that's, that's kind of silly when when you've got 20, essentially a 20 car team working together at Talladega. That's, you know, for, for NASCAR trying to make it as entertaining as possible, especially in the last few years, I mean, that's, re- that's really going against the, the kind of the MO of the series to, to stink up the show that way, in my opinion. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, with with Kansas, who, who, so who, if 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 you're a betting guy, who who who, who do you pick in Kansas? Uh, I I think Kyle Busch is also another driver who's who's who who needs to get in. Um, he hasn't. Um, and Truex, mm-hmm. who have won. So yeah, I think Kyle Busch. I think he's probably the safe money. I think he's going to be sufficiently motivated to get up there and get a win and not have to worry about it. Uh, and again, I think the story is Hendrick because, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't count out Chase Elliott because it seems like he's a driver specifically on that team that can really step up to the plate and, and perform. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it'll be Kyle Busch. Uh, I want to go, it's kind of, it is racing related, but a different type of racing. I, I saw this and I, I don't know if it's getting the, the publicity it it should be, but did you see the guy who broke the two minute marathon guys? Did you see that at all? Did you see there was a guy two hour marathon? A two, two minute marathon would be yeah, totally amazing. Yeah, two hour a marathon, and and David, I don't know if you saw this. I saw this uh, on YouTube last night where there's an English guy and he demonstrated on a on a and this guy's a runner. He demonstrated on a, on a treadmill. He goes, well, you know, I jog at. You know, normal for me when I jog, he goes, whatever, 10, 20, you know, kilometers when I, I jog. I, I jog, let's say, at 6 or whatever it is. And you see him, he's, and I can still kind of talk. And then he goes, well, and then, uh, like, marathoners will usually run at this rate. And he's like, and you know, he's on this thing. He's going about whatever, 10 miles an hour or whatever. And he's, you know, at this rate, yeah, you know, it's hard for me to talk this. And then he did it where uh, the, the Ethiopian dude was running. And he goes, yeah, I, I says, this is insane. He could only keep that pace. This guy's a runner. He could only keep that pace for about a minute. And everything was like 13 miles an hour. And the guy, I mean, it's for us. It's basically a sprint, David. Now, I, I know I know the three of us in here are not long-distance runners. <laughs> I'm not sure That's if you are either. Sure. But, but uh, you know, I mean, did did you see that at, at all? <laughs> How fast that no, was? No, I didn't. I'll, I'll have to check it out. But boy, oh boy, that does sound like quite an athletic feat. Uh, it's incredible. Man. Yeah, it's uh, 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 well, it goes deeper now because now the conversation. I think the five fastest marathon times in history have all been set within like the last two or three years. All five are being uh, have been run wearing these new shoes which look like, I believe they're Nikes, but they look like they're platform shoes. Oh, really? And um, which you would think, you know, it'd be easier to sprain an ankle or stuff like that, but supposedly they're wider and they've got all the technology and all that kind of crap on it. So now it's, you know, is this, um, you know, we saw it with one of the swimsuits back in the Olympics a a time or two ago. Uh, That one ended up being outlawed, but... You look at tennis now compared to tennis in the 70s. The racket's five times as big. Golf clubs are the size of the moon. So, you know, is it technology or is this guy really that damn fast? I, I think, well, I'm sure the shoes definitely help. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's the gentleman's name is Ludi 
Chipoge, Bless which you. I'm sounds that yeah, that sounds I'm sure exactly how they pronounce it in Ethiopia. <laughs> but yeah, David, it's uh, is is I guess we could dovetail it back to uh, so is this just one of these things where technology has run amok? Well, you know, fellas, we come from the world of, of auto racing, and you know, one of the, the core tenets, in my opinion, of auto racing has always been the fact that we don't have standardized equipment. Uh, equipment matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from my perspective, I kind of think it's cool that, that, that the shoes can, can help you run a faster uh, mile. I'm sure it's great promotion for Nike. Hey, our shoes could make this guy run 13 miles per hour for two hours you know, and, and run a marathon. I think that's kind of neat. And and here's the bottom line. If any of the four of us put it on, we're not going to be anywhere near that. No. I might be able to get to the end of the parking lot. That's about it. That's farther than me. <laughs> David, thank you for joining the show. And uh, what's coming up next for you? Uh, the, you know, it's getting to the off season, so we're going to be breaking down every silly season move. So obviously, when the when the Pato Award stuff breaks officially, uh, be sure to to tune into my channel for that. And I'll try to try to keep everybody uh, who isn't a, a super hardcore NASCAR fan entertained with racing content as we get into the cold dark winter month <laughs> very good david land appreciate it joining uh, david of course is joining us in, in the great midwest bank hotline uh great midwest bank looking to buy build renovate or refinance in 2019 look no further call great midwest bank today great midwest bank providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935 coming up next we're going to get an inside look at talladega on the final inspection show Inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, along with David Hobbs Honda, Steve Zotke, along with Jeff Orlowski, and Superbird Doug in studio talking Talladega. And uh, of course, uh, Talladega had uh, how, how big of an improvement to the infield? It was like 50 million. 50 million. You know, they did. They used to be able to build a stadium for that back in the day. Yeah. They, they did a complete top to bottom renovation of all the infield facilities. And the, the, the crown jewel of it is what they call the Talladega Garage Experience. Okay. And so if you're, let's say you're camping in the infield or you've got a grandstand ticket, there is a, a separate admission that will get you into this infield social club, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a large um, covered pavilion uh, that has got a, a 41, 41-foot big screen. It's got bars. It's got concessions that are priced at two three and four dollars the food was pretty good uh but the, the cool so like a sandwich for like four bucks that type of thing uh, right? right right nothing okay. nothing more than four bucks oh cool nice um but uh the, the the cool thing was on either side of this covered pavilion and it's called big bill's big bill's garage 
that, that's what it's signed as. But on either side of that are open air doors that let you walk into uh, a walkway that's the garage area. So um, you can see the teams working on both sides of that covered pavilion. Uh, and then there's two additional wings on either side that extend extend down. So you've got access to uh, to seeing the teams work on the cars. Now, I, I mentioned it on last week's show, and I saw that on television. I said, you know, they kind of took what they did at Daytona, which is kind of cool where the, the fans can see into the garages and that, but that's underneath glass. This is more of where you, you can actually get into the the garage itself to the back of it and, and look into it and, and, and see everything that's going on. Can't yeah, you? exactly. That, that's exactly how it is. So there's, there's a, there's a, there is a, um, you know, maybe a three foot high fence, but beyond that, you know, they can see you and you can see them. There's no glass in between. And I saw <laughs> on t- uh, during one of the practice sessions, they're in- in- interviewing uh, Brad Keselowski, and there's a couple of knuckleheads standing there with uh, the mid-90s Rusty Wallace Miller Genuine Draft uh, crew shirts on. And, and you know, when he, they were done, you know, Brad kind of gave them a, hey, how are you doing type, th- you know, type thing as they walked by. I thought that was kind of funny. Of course, drinking their, their light beer, too, at the time. So I'm sure the... The team didn't mind those guys standing there, but did you did you see a lot of that down there? I mean, do, with uh, Talladega, I've never been to Talladega, but I mean, do you see a lot of the old throwback T-shirts and that kind of thing? There was, down there? yeah, there is a lot of that. There is a lot of that down there. Um, the other thing about that this this new area is, um, with that ticket, it gives you fan access to Victory Lane. Okay. So um, uh, where the car pulls in is the area where you are, and there's no, you know, there's no fencing or anything really mm-hmm. separating you. Uh, uh, you get to see the driver introductions. Um, you get to see where the driver's meeting is is held. Um, so they're, they're trying to give give you more access no. without the hot pass. Here's the most important Steve Zadke question right here. How are the restrooms? <laughs> <laughs> they were great. They're all new. Okay. So there's enough, though? It's not oh, people yeah. standing yeah. in line. And yeah, it's, and yeah. I right. And matter of fact, it's not a trough, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> okay. It is not. Well, uh, that's a that's a that's a plus in my book. They've also they've got a they've got a new backstretch tunnel that lets you get into the track okay. easily. That was very nice. Um, but uh, you know, overall, they're trying to enhance the fan experience, and, and they've they've done a good job with it. Now, the the other way they enhanced the fan experience, Dalladega last week, is they had a bunch of vintage uh, stock cars down there. Tell us about that. So uh, there was a 50th anniversary uh, Dodge Daytona and Plymouth Superbird event that was held uh, about an hour southeast of the track. And, um, you know, the Dodge Daytona made its debut at Talladega 50 years ago for this and particular that was the event. Fall, the fall that 69. was the fall event, yeah. Okay. And, um, uh, and that's a controversial race because, Jeff, they were having issues with the tires. and. It was a brand new track, and they were worried about the tire wear. And a bunch of the drivers got together, including Richard Petty, and said, "We ain't driving." And this is where the 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 situation where Bill France famously, at fifty some years old, which back then was old, now it's not so old, <laughs> but got in a car, put a helmet on, and his uh, you know with his dress shirt, and went around the track at 160 miles an hour. And said, "There's nothing wrong." Wow. Of course, at, at at that race too, um, if the if the cars were running one ninety five or lower, 
it turned out the tires would last. Yeah. But the pull was at 199 and change. And at those speeds, the tires would last four, maybe five laps. And um, um, Charlie Glotzbach, he broke an upper control arm on the track. There was, there was a rough spot in turn one and two. Uh, and then there was the discussion about something they called the Pogo effect, which was uh, NASA had NASA astronauts had experienced this in the Gemini program, uh, where um, oscillations on launch would cause them to momentarily black out. And is, there, is that bad in a race car? That is bad in a race car. Really? Yeah. That's weird. Um, that was never really conclusively proven, but uh, drivers, there were a couple of drivers that complained of symptoms like that in, in uh, before that race and before the, before the walkout. And, and how it all shook out was there were a couple of factory cars that stayed around. Uh, Bobby Isaac was one of them in the K&K Dodge. Uh, he was probably the only factory driver that stuck around and was loyal. Um, Richard Brickhouse filled in the, the number 99 Daytona, which was the car Charlie Glotzbach was going to drive. He ultimately won the race. That was his only uh, Grand National, now what we call Cup, win. Um, uh, the rest of the field was pretty much filled with scabs. Um, it was guys that had run a Grand American race the day before, which was Mustangs and Camaros, uh, five-liter cars running against seven-liter uh, you know, wing, wing Mopars. One of had. those being Richard Childress. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Childress, too, uh, he did a, um, I, I think most people heard about the, uh, the Earnhardt car doing the pace lap prior to the race at Talladega. Yeah. And um, I want to tell you that when, when he came through the second time, he has not forgotten how to drive. How fast was he going? He was, he was, pretty close to race and speed out of turn four and down towards the tri-oval. He was moving. Those, I mean, I, I remember Parnelli Jones got behind a, of a wheel of a Indy car back in 2003, 2004, and I was in the pits when he pulled in. He did some uh, – just before track was open, he did. He took his son's car out, and he was doing uh, 200 miles an hour. At, nice. At that age, 68 years old, I think he was at the time, you know, 67. He goes, and I remember him saying, he's getting out of the car, he took off his helmet, he goes, I could qualify. He goes, I wouldn't want to race. I wouldn't be comfortable racing with 32 other cars. But he goes, mano a mano, just me in the track, I could qualify. Well, who was it? Wasn't it uh, Mario, like a year ago, spun out on one of those ride-alongs when he was in a two-seater? Because he was trying to break. Uh, Elliot set the the track record, and Mario's trying to beat it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. You know, the desire, the yeah. passion is still there. These guys still want to push it. I think it's phenomenal. You know, in the, in the same vein, uh, we did some parade laps around the track at, in in the, the vintage stock cars before the race at Talladega, and uh, Dave Marcus was one of our guests for the event, the reunion that we had, and he drove the uh, Bobby Isaac's K and K Daytona on this these two parade laps, and you could tell that he was pushing the pace car. He wanted to go. Yeah. And you know, Marcus looks like he could still again he could get in and qualify without any problem whatsoever. Sure. He's still very very sharp. Yeah, and uh, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, with uh, and also while well, th- this this you said there was another get together, and that was at the Tim Wellborn Museum, which is a uh, 
about an hour away from Talladega. Yeah, we actually we actually we we started the week and we did some demo laps at Atlanta Motor Speedway on Thursday, which was very cool. There were probably a hundred of us with cars, and um, it was basically sign a waiver and ten bucks, and we'll turn you loose. Were these street and stock cars? Then? Street and stock cars. And the okay. stock cars got to go run on their own a little bit faster, um, and then the, and then the street cars. Uh, did you participate? Did you rub it against the wall at all? Or I anything? did not rub it against the wall, but I want to tell you, the the highlight was uh, driving my car, and uh, there's a fellow in Florida that owns the real Richard Petty '43 Superbird. Okay, and uh, uh, he was running a little faster than I was, and he came back around, and he ran with me for two laps. We ran side by side, and uh, that was just the coolest thing. Listening to those two cars run. Sure. And uh, and looking at the forty three alongside that was yeah. that was awesome, um, but then after Atlanta on Thursday we uh, went about a hundred miles west to a small town called Alexander City, Alabama, and there's a museum there that's owned by Tim Wellborn. It's called the Wellborn Muscle Car Museum. Uh, Tim at one time had the largest collection of seventy one Hemi Chargers. They only made about seventy of them, and Tim owned twenty three at one time. Wow. Uh, that's cornering the market. Uh, Ching. <laughs> but uh, uh, Tim's got a wonderful, a wonderful home that he hosted us at. Uh, uh, all two hundred of us, two hundred cars, were there for that. And uh, then it is around his museum on uh, on Saturday. Um, the guests were we had Bobby and Donnie Allison on Friday. Dave Marcus was there all weekend. Um, uh, David Bonnet was there on Saturday, and the. Uh, the key to that was one of the cars that was unveiled was the Dodge Daytona that Marty Robbins drove at Charlotte in October of 70. And that car has just kind of a really long and winding road. It started out as a James Hilton car. Then Marty bought it. Um, then Bobby Allison ran it a little bit. And That's then, not the Talmadge Prince car, is it? Well, it was thought to be the Tab Prince car when the car was found about 10 years ago in just terrible condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was originally thought that it could be the Prince car that he was killed in at Daytona. Um, but it was later proved out, and this is the funniest thing, by a bunch of model car builders figured out that Hilton... And, and this is the power of Facebook, too, yeah. where people post old photos, old shop photos. There was a kid that had taken pictures at Hilton's shop at the end of 69 showing all his cars. And there was one particular car in there that the cage in the car matches this car that was found at a derel- as a derelict okay. you know, 40 years later. Model car builders figured out what this car really was, that it wasn't the Prince car but there was another charger that had been sold to, um, to Marty, and newspaper accounts were later found that backed that up. So that car was finally restored. It had been to three shops. Uh, the third shop was Ray Evernham's shop in Charlotte, and he actually pulled it all together and finished the restoration, and, and the, the car is just great. It, it's just phenomenal. Um, but after uh, Bobby Allison, after Marty and Bobby had driven it, Neil Bonnet drove it as a as a late model sportsman car. Okay. So David Bonnet was on hand at the museum on Saturday, um, and and uh, he and his sister were there to see the car. One, I got two Marty Robbins stories. I told well three. Uh, the one my my stupid story where I didn't even know he was a singer until later, uh, when I was growing up. But there's two other Marty Robbins stories that I love. Uh, one is uh, 
Robin Miller, who we've had had on the show, was living with uh, Larry Rice, uh, I think Johnny Parsons, and a few other drivers in Indianapolis. I think off of uh, on the uh, east side of the track, and uh, they during the month of May they would have a party almost every night. And one day they go in the backyard. This is would have been '76, and uh, one of the one of the drivers or crew guys had a guitar. And uh, Marty Robbins shows up and goes, "Hey, uh, you know, you mind if I join you?" <laughs> See, you know, Marty Robbins is the guy's playing in Robin Miller's backyard with, or you know, the the house's backyard. He goes, "Hey, I like to bring my, some of the guys here." And a couple of days later, Marty was basically giving a little private concert in the back of the yard. Nice. I think it was '76 when he drove the pace car. So, and then uh, I don't know if they did this on country music, uh, the the Ken Burns thing, but uh, I know. There's a story where the Marty was robbing, running in Nashville in the fairgrounds, and he'd run Saturday nights, and they would hold off introducing him until he was after after he was done racing, he had to go over to the Grand Ole Opry and perform, and they would kind of hold off, let everybody go, and he was usually the last guy to perform because he was running at Nashville, <laughs> running late models, and then he'd show up at the Grand Ole yeah, Opry. Yeah, that's to that's give, that's the story that's been yeah, told. Yeah, yeah, good good stuff. All right, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll have more with Superbird Doug and uh, history of stock car racing on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show here on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan, Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb here. Alongside Steve Zaki and Super Bird Doug. Ah, boys. Not only are you uh, dominating on the radio, but uh, obviously uh, you're you're soon to be uh, authors. Yeah. Steve, for the second uh, second time? Yes, second time. And uh, Doug, how many books have you written previously? Zero. All right. A, a first time Doug author. Doug does write. I've seen his writing, though. He's done articles. Well, I hope he speaks English better than you, and but uh, <laughs> he 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 do good. The, the king's he, English. He he do good with writing. All right. Well, we're gonna have a uh, a new book about the USAC series coming out. The USAC stock car series. Stock car series. Yeah. Uh, when uh, when are, what's the expected release date? We have no idea. Hopefully, it should be next year. Okay. So what? Uh, what was the driving force for both of you guys uh, to get together and, and Doug, take on this uh, mountain of a project? Doug and I would always text each other when a driver would pass on, and one of the drivers passed on and said, Doug, we got to do this now. <laughs> too many. Too, we're losing too many drivers. And it's, it's, it's sad but true. Um, you know, it's I'm involved in racing now, and I, I love it, and unfortunately – yeah, you know, I mentioned Robin Miller in the last segment, and you know, Robin said it too. When when these guys are gone, I don't. To be honest, I don't know how interested I'm going to be in racing. And I, when I mean these guys, I mean the Pernelli Joneses, the Bobby Unzers, the AJ Foyts. You know, these guys that you grew up were your heroes, and not only were they heroes, uh, they're great race car drivers, but they were also personalities too. And un- unfortunately, you know, I know things change and everything, but. You know, you sit down, and I've already been able to do interviews with A.J. Foyt, and I've done one for the book already with A.J. I'm doing one one with Uncle Bobby uh, coming up next month. But it, it's, you know, you got to do it now. And enough of this, you know, I, we 
we didn't want to be in a situation where, well, I wish we could have interviewed because we've already done that. You know, I mean, there's an unfortunate a lot of these, a few of the, uh, Doug will agree with me on this. Some of these guys just died, unfortunately, you know, before we would have been really in position to do this, like uh, uh, Butch Hartman or Norm Nelson. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, I, time. Why, why waste any more time, right, Doug? Yeah, you know, and there's so many stories about these guys, and uh, um, almost all of them have or had larger-than-life personalities. Uh, Sal Tovella uh, yeah. in Chicago. Um, uh, Jack Bauscher, just as a reputation as a very tough racer. Um, Roger McCluskey being versatile, being able to drive any kind of car, but he really excelled in, in stock cars. Um, and, uh, you know, USAC, particularly in, in Milwaukee here, you know, we saw them so often, and that the stock car series really had the potential and for a time, it was really on par equipment-wise and driver talent-wise with what was going on down south. Um, so um, we, we saw these cars run so often here, and Milwaukee in particular was really a marquee event for the series. So we were exposed to it so much. They were the hub. And and there's a lot of there's just a lot of there's a lot of material up here, you know, photographically uh, uh, that we've got access to, to for the project. But we want to kind of get into also not only uh, the, okay, okay, the racing and, and, and all of that and the personalities, but also we want to get into is the politics involved with it, uh, which I've dabbled in. I've done some extended articles on the series in the past and how there was a lot of politics involved with our friends in USAC in Indianapolis. And they wanted to focus on the IndyCar racing and never really built up the the drivers such as Norm Nelson, Butch Hartman, Jack Bauscher, and they would kind of rely on the IndyCar drivers to come in and to be the stars. And it was kind of a situation where you have what we have now with the Xfinity series with the cup drivers kind of going back. That's kind of what happened with with USAC in a way, uh, where especially at Milwaukee, you had guys like Roger McCluskey. And and then there's also another reason why, and that's because the sprint car racing was basically very dangerous. So you had guys like uh, Roger McCluskey who broke an arm driving the sprint car, and you had uh, Johnny Rutherford who you know, busted up some arms driving sprint cars. Guys were getting hurt and killed driving sprint cars. USAC racing was starting to pick up, and it was a, a way for drivers to make money on the side as aside from IndyCar racing. So guys like Bobby Unzer, Roger McCluskey, A.J. Foyt, you know, were able to win championships and a lot of races running the USAC series. However to the chagrin of guys like Jack Bowser and A.J. Foyt and, uh, and Norm Nelson, you know, th- when they would come into town, they were the stars. And they, they never really procured those drivers and, and, and that. And there was awesome animosity. We want to bring that out. And the, the other thing I want to bring out, too, and, and one of the, the – why I wanted to bring Doug on board because he his his knowledge is that as a gear heart, gearhead is much better than mine. And I also want to get the stories – uh, from Michigan, from Detroit, kind of, and their involvement in the sport, uh, not only in NASCAR, but also there was a lot of, of that in USAC and kind of behind the scenes and how the Superbirds and the Aerial cars, uh, which are still very, very popular today, how that came about and kind of dispel a lot of myths too because, uh, you know, Doug and I are on Facebook and you're on Facebook and, and unfortunately, as people who want to get the story straight, there's been criticisms as 
us historians, you know, who always are so critical. And, 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 and the reason why is we want to get the story straight. You know, and, and, and no, these are these are myths that are getting out there and you try and squash them and people take it the wrong way. But we're trying to say, well, that's, you know, we try and do it tactfully. But poor, I don't, I'll be honest, Doug is taking a lot more heat than I have. So, Doug, you want to tell us this story? Uh, a perfect case in point is the Richard Petty Vinyl Rough. Doug, you want to tell us the quick story in that real quick? Sure. It's a so, funny story. So in 68 in at Daytona... Um, Petty had the fastest Chrysler product um, at the 500 that year. And his car differed from all the other Chrysler products, which had been built at Nichols Engineering in Indiana. Petty kind of had a special dispensation where he could build his own cars in-house. He had a special side deal with Chrysler. So Petty's car really looked nothing like any of the other Dodgers or Plymouths that showed up. And it was also about four to five miles an hour faster than all the other Dodges and Plymouths. And one of the things about that car was it had a, what people refer to as a black vinyl top. And uh, that's where all the attention got focused on that car. Uh, never mind that it had, you know, uh, aerodynamic aluminum fairings and belly pans on the, on the underside of it. Everybody focuses about the original, about the vinyl top. And to this day, there are people who were at the track that swear that the car actually had a, a top that was made of vinyl. But when you look at photographs of the car, and, and the thing with, with, with history is photographs never misremember. And when you look at the pictures of the car, you can clearly see that it's a textured paint that's on the roof. And uh, uh, Dale Inman has come out and also said, yeah, it was paint. But there are people this day that will, were at the track photographers, what have you, that will swear, oh, no, it was vinyl, but it really was painted. You know, vinyl wouldn't last at 185 miles an hour. So where are you guys at? Are you still in the research stage? You guys still have more interviews to do, or yeah, is it time to put, uh, you know, words on, on the screen? Uh, it, it's going to be, we, we have access to a, a lot of photo collections, and and we want to, it's going to be heavy on photos, but, I mean, it's not going to be a photo book. But I also want to get the interviews, and the interviews are going to be more so adding the flavors to the to the photos and adding specifically giving some, uh, you know, shedding some light on different situations within the series. You know, it's it's not going to be War and Peace. You know, to be honest, that you know, the 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 world we live in now, people don't have time. Uh, you know, there are some people, but the people that would be our market for this book don't have time to read a hundred thousand dollar a hundred thousand word book so it, it is it, there is going to be a lot of we want to tell the stories and that in there but it, it's going to be a, a lot of photos and we're still working on it well we're kind are, of, are you saying it's geared for a mature audience yeah mature audience. yes so i'm looking forward to it we'll, we'll we'll have more news as we come about but uh yeah like i said we're doing a lot of interviews now and just starting to gather the information and, and doug has a huge collection especially pertaining to the gearhead kind of stuff, which I want to start diving into. Well, definitely keep us updated. Uh, the upcoming USAC book uh, by Steve Zaki and Super uh, Bird Doug. Can't wait for that one, boys. That's going to be uh, that's going to be exciting. Hey, we got breaking news. We won't read the thing. Daniel Hemrick on the pole for the Kansas race with David Reagan in the outside. Interesting, we were just mentioning David Reagan and how well he ran a Talladega thing. Wow, it was a Talladega race. You know, but yeah, he qualified second. Ryan Blaney third. Brad Keselowski uh, fourth. And interesting, 
Kyle Larson, fifth. So, and then uh, Michael McDowell also at sixth, another surprise. So that kind of may, uh, I think all th three of us were thinking for predictions, talking off air, everybody's leaning towards Kyle Bush. And now we're thinking, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, he qualified back in 18th. So the 18 uh, starts 18. That uh, still, what I think is going to be a winning combination. I'm sticking with Kyle Bush. Uh, I hate to choose the same guy that David Land chose, but uh, yeah. I'm sticking with Kyle on on this one. Doug, who do you like? I think it's going to be the 18. Okay. Well, and then I gotta I gotta be the outlier then. Uh, I'll take outlier. Kevin Harvick. He starts at the tail end. No, I don't like that. Um, who? Bubba Wallace. Our friend Bubba Wallace is 10th. I'm gonna go uh, Martin Truex. All right, starts 11th. Yep. So I'll be. So we got Bush, 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 Truex. Yep, that, uh, you know, it, it should be a good race. The, the top 10 starting positions, you know, like you said, Hemrick, Reagan, McDowell, Newman, Suarez, Austin, Dillon, Bubba Wallace, seven out of the top 10 are shockers. Yeah. So uh, this should be one hell of a race coming Hopefully up it tomorrow. Will be. Yeah. You know, well, it de definitely should be entertaining. Doug, thank you for coming on the show. It was a blast. Pleasure to be here. You've passed. Well, good. We're, we'll, I think we'll have mine again. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, absolutely. Anytime, uh, anytime. You're welcome. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if there's not enough seats in here, you can take mine. <laughs> Thanks to uh, <laughs> David Land for also coming on in the first part of the second hour. And a uh, fun show today, as always. Yeah, it was. It was good stuff. And, uh, you know, hopefully NASCAR provides us the same finish that they did last week. We're uh, – at uh, Kansas, it'll come uh, down to six thousandths of a second. Car twirling through the air, you mean? Or that'll work too. But uh, <laughs> you know, photo finished—you can't go wrong with that. No Brendan gone in this race. Uh, that's too bad. All right, you're listening to Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.